0: so excited for you to hear from Josh Hollowell this morning. Uh, he is a pastor at City Hope Fellowship in Muncie, Indiana, and he spoke at an accountability training for Reclaiming Eros last year. We also want to thank Sarah Kirk, Vice President of Academic Affairs and SGA, for working with us and uh, bringing Josh to speak here today. Join me as I pray for Josh in the service this morning. Dear Lord, I pray that your spirit will come and fill this place right now. Make us so aware of your presence that it becomes tangible, Lord. I pray that you give Josh the words to say this morning, that you speak your truth through him. I'm so expectant to hear what you have to say through him this morning and this weekend. I pray that you give everyone in this room soft hearts and big ears to hear from what you have to say. I pray that you do something big here this morning, that you break chains, and that you speak to everyone here in a way that they need to. I pray that we walk away from today knowing that you've moved in a big way. And that we can hunger and thirst for what you have to say for us. I pray that everything done and said today will be for your glory. Amen. Amen. All right.
1: Well, thank you, guys. As I said, my name is Josh Hollowell. And uh, wait, no one's shouting? Come on. These guys got shouts. I want some shouts. Well, no, I'm delighted to be with you this morning and uh, excited to be here. Thank you guys for inviting me. As they said, I'm pastor of City Hope Fellowship. We are a baby church, an infant church. Uh, This Sunday will be our third official week meeting together. We just planted it in uh, downtown Muncie. We are an intentionally multi-ethnic church in the downtown Muncie area. And uh, I'm excited to be with you this morning to talk with you about freedom. In John chapter 8, Jesus is teaching and some folks come and and start talking to Jesus. And Jesus replies to them with these words. He says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. If the sun sets you free, you are truly free. Friends, I want to talk with you this morning about freedom, and I want to talk with you about freedom in a very narrow, particular focus. I want to speak with you about freedom in the place that I believe we, the church in America, are most enslaved. And I want to speak about freedom in the place that we are most enslaved, which, ironically, I believe the church is most enslaved. In the place that our culture tells us we as a culture are most free. Our culture tells us that we are the most free people sexually. That we in this time period, in this place, are the first ones to figure out sexual freedom. And we have it in abundance. Especially if we could shake off the, sh- the shackles of the church's view of sexuality. But I believe that the church is actually enslaved to this, just like the culture. C.S. Lewis, writing some 50 years ago, tells a story of what would happen if you were to analyze a culture and see their views on something like food. He says, if I were, so, so I'm going to update it for now. Let's say I rolled out here a cart. And it had a tray on it, and that tray had a lid, a big silver lid. And as you all watched, I lifted the lid just a tiny bit, and you saw a sliver of bacon. Or the end of a pork chop. And then I slammed it shut. And you all cheered and paid me money to do that and left. That would be really odd, right? And we would look at a culture that did things like that on a regular basis and we would say they are very perverted when it comes to food. Like they have a weird view of food. And if they would speak of being free, most free when it comes to food, we would say, well, that sounds a bit odd because that that looks weird. Well, C.S. Lewis said this is what our culture, Western culture, does around sexuality. He said, this is over 50 years ago, so I don't know what he would say today. But he said, you can fill a theater for a woman to come and take off her clothes. And yet we call ourselves free. We're really quite enslaved. And at this point in our day, we don't need to fill a theater because we have access to all of that on our phones through pornography. Friends, I want to speak today about freedom from the place that we, as the church, have been most enslaved by our culture. And I believe the sharp end of the spear, so to speak, of our culture's enslavement of us in this is pornography. That's the sharp end of the spear. And so I'm going to speak on that very narrow slice. Now some of you are probably thinking, oh no, not another talk on pornography. This guy's going to come out here and tell us the tried and true things of the church. He's going to slam us with guilt and shame. And I don't want to hear it. Well, friends, before I go into this, let me tell you a little of my own story so that I can set you a little at ease. I was exposed to pornography sometime in middle school. I don't remember exactly when. And from that time until my sophomore year of college, I was addicted to pornography. It ebbed and flowed in certain times, but the worst of it was my four years of high school. And I can honestly say that my four years of high school were four wasted years of my life. If I were to look at all of the activities I did while not sleeping and calculate all of those up, the highest activity I would have committed my time to was pornography. And if you include thinking about pornography, it would be way higher. It was my life. It consumed my life. Now, no one knew about that. I was a good kid. I grew up in church. I had good grades. I had a girlfriend for a while. No one knew that this was rotting me out on the inside. Oh, I got caught once or twice, but I was able to explain it away. And I was dying on the inside. Until I found freedom in Christ Jesus. And so I come here today not to stand from this stage and condemn you from a moral high ground. But to say I am one who was deep in the pit. And was rescued out. And I want to speak to those of you who feel like you're in the pit and there's no place out. And I want to call you to the freedom I found in Jesus. I am 11 years, I believe, sober from pornography, not because of anything that I did or because I was so great and good, but because Jesus Christ is so great and good. <clears throat> Friends, I made it out by God's grace, and I want to help those of you who feel enslaved. Make it out. And call you to a better way and a better place. Friends, this is such an important issue because it's so pervasive. Back in 2014, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a hack, a celebrity hack, and some nude photos of celebrities were posted online. One of those celebrities was Jennifer Lawrence. And she was going to issue an apology for this and then decided not to and she said this was a, this is not like a hack this is a sex crime which she was right in that but the reason she didn't issue an apology was this she said this i was in a loving healthy great relationship for 4 years it was long distance and either your boyfriend's going to look at porn or he's going to look at you this was her justification for having these nude photos that were eventually hacked and sent out online Friends, this is how pervasive this has become. And maybe some of you here feel this same way. Maybe some of you ladies feel here that that's true. That either your boyfriend's going to be looking at porn or looking at you, and so you feel pressure to give in. Because the crushing weight of feeling inadequate and not beautiful crushes you. And so you'd rather just give in or push boundaries that you know you shouldn't because, well, he's going to look at porn anyway. Or maybe some of you guys here today feel like this is what everyone does, so I, I just am going to be doing it too. And it's not just that men look at pornography and women are objectified in pornography. This is actually a human issue, not a men's issue. The rates of women looking at pornography are rising rapidly in our culture. And so, ladies, maybe you feel the exact same way. You feel trapped with what our culture expects of you. And yet at the same time, right, we feel like everyone's doing it. I might as well. And at the same time, we feel like we're totally alone. And I have to hide this from everyone. What a trick of Satan. We believe this lie that everyone's doing it so it's okay. And on the other hand, we believe this lie that I'm the only one struggling with this and I could never tell anyone. So we're stuck right in the middle justifying our sin and too afraid to tell anyone to seek help or healing. So we just stay Enslaved Friends, if we're going to talk about this reality and what we're going to do about it, we need to understand what it is. So I'm going to ask some basic questions about what is pornography? Well, pornography is derived from the Greek word pornographos, meaning writings about prostitutes. So historically and presently, pornography cannot be separated from prostitution. That's an important thing for us to know. So, so what is prostitution? Well, prostitution is generally defined as the act or practice of engaging in sexual activity for money or its equivalent. That's from Black's Law Dictionary. And it's illegal in the U.S. except for 11 counties in Nevada around Las Vegas. It's illegal in the U.S. except for those counties. So friends, if we're to understand what pornography is... Pornography is essentially a commercial sex act that is filmed. It's prostitution plus a camera, right? There's sexual activity, there's money exchanged. But somehow our culture has said, well, if you add a camera and publicize it to the world, it's not only legal but good and healthy. That doesn't make any sense. It's essentially prostitution plus a camera. Well, so that, that's what it is, but why does it exist? If we're to really attack something, we have to know its aim. What is it aiming at? What is it truly aiming at? Not what do people tell you it's aiming at. People will tell you that it's aiming at sexual freedom, expression of oneself, art. There's a big difference between art and pornography. Why does porn exist? Well, porn exists, I would argue, for two reasons. One is the personal sexual satisfaction of the consumer. And the other is money for the producer. You see, it's like prostitution in that way. We as a culture are finally starting to realize that prostitution is not really about the prostitute, but about those who are trafficking them and those who are using them. And we are finally starting to not criminalize women in particular, young women who are engaging in this. But actually go after those who are trafficking them and those who are buying them. But somehow we haven't made that transition in pornography. You see, pornography is about the sexual satisfaction of the consumer, not the performer. It's not about the performer at all. It's about the consumer. And it's about money, not for the uh, performer, but for the producer. That's why it exists. It exists for these two purposes. Well, how big of an issue really is this? And why would we talk about it at a chapel at IWU? Well, I think it's because it's a huge issue. Porn sites regularly receive More regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined each month. This is from an organization called Fight the New Drug. drug Fightthenewdrug.org. Check it out later. Um, And the Huffington Post also talked about this. That's insane. In 2016 alone, more than 4.5 billion hours of porn were watched on only one website. The largest Porn site in the world. 4.5 billion hours wasted in one year. We could probably solve cancer with 4.5 billion hours. Gone. Well, what about the church? According to a 2014 Barna study, 64% of self-identified Christian men and 15% of self-identified Christian women view pornography at least once a month. Compared to 65% of non-Christian men and 30% of non-Christian women. See why I say that this is the place that the church is most enslaved? We look exactly like the world. Exactly like the world. A nationally representative study or survey found that 64% of young people ages 13 to 24, most of you in this room, actively seek out pornography weekly or more often. Also from the Barna Group. And this is 2016. That's pervasive. That's big. That's why we're talking about it. Well, the question, friends, is how has pornography become So prevalent, accepted, and even celebrated. And particularly our focus for this morning, for the church, like we can understand why the culture would would go in that direction. But for the church, why aren't we truly free? What is it that has kept us so enslaved? Jesus promised that if the son sets you free, you are truly free. But why aren't we truly free? Friends, I believe that we're not truly free because we have not adequately challenged our culture's sexual ethic. You see, our culture has a philosophy of sex, an ethic around what sex and sexuality should be. And we as the Christian church have not adequately challenged that ethic. And the sharp end of the spear of that sexual ethic is... I believe is not our cultures move towards a redefinition of marriage. That's a part of it for sure. That's a part of our cultural sexual ethic and it's rapidly affecting our culture and the church, but that's not the sharp end of the spear. The sharp end of the spear is pornography. And that spear has pierced the church deeply and brought along with it the sexual ethic of our culture. And so I think we have to properly challenge this. So to understand this, I want to unpack for you, I'm going to argue three points for what our culture's sexual ethic is. And from that, I want to show why pornography is the highest expression of that ethic. It makes the most logical sense of that ethic. And then we're going to learn about what we should do about it from there. So three points on our culture's sexual ethic. Don't worry, we're not going to go too long because I've been drinking lots of water. And so I'm going to like have to like run out uh, at some point. The world's sexual ethic. Point one, sex is ultimate. We can see this everywhere. We can see this in academia in the world, that we are the most sexually free people. This argument that... What we should, uh, what what helps to define who we are as humans, is our sexuality. We see this as an ultimate need in our culture. Like you cannot be fully human if you're not engaging sexually. Friends, this comes out in the way that we describe things as a culture, right? We describe non-sexual things in sexual terms. Did you notice that? Like, we call phones sexy. Like, what is up with that? Why do we do that? It's because we have defined the ultimate good as sex. We have defined the ultimate joy or pleasure that you can experience as a human as sex. And so we use it to describe other things. We use it to sell everything from cheeseburgers at Hardee's to TV shows like Game of Thrones. We use sex to sell, to manipulate, and to promise people that they can have ultimate joy and pleasure. If you're not having it, you're missing out. You are missing out. And even missing out on what it means to be fundamentally human. That's what our culture says. And pornography obviously is the highest point of that. If you can't have it, we'll bring it to you. Everyone can have it. And you can have it exactly like you want, which is the sex, the second point. Sex is primarily about personal pleasure. Friends, this can be seen all over the place as well. Right, it can be seen in the churches and the world's acceptance of no-fault divorce, like I'm tired of you, I don't need a reason, I'm done. I can go my other way because I'm not personally happy anymore in my marriage or sexually, so I can end it and move on and find something better. We can see this in the proliferation of dating apps, right? It's primarily about what I want. It's primarily about what I find to be pleasurable. And it's really about your joy and pleasure and not about procreation, not about having kids. Sex is not about having kids at all in our culture. And it's not about lasting, real human relationships. And again, pornography is the height of this. It's about you and your personal pleasure. And porn producers have gotten really good at making it that way and forcing that in our direction. Well, the final point of our world's sexual ethic is that sex is just sex. Now, this may seem odd, right? Because the first point is that sex is ultimate. The last point is sex is just sex. And this is the paradox that our culture finds itself in. On the one hand, we say that sex is ultimate and it is the thing that will bring you the most joy and pleasure. And on the other hand, we say, come on, guys, it's just sex. Like Christians, why are you being such prudes? It's just sex. It's not a big deal. It's just pornography. It's not a big deal. It's just a hookup. It's not a big deal. We say it's the ultimate pleasure and then we cheapen it. To something that's just regular and normal. Pornography, friends, is the highest expression of this sexual ethic. And so an acceptance of pornography is really an acceptance of these points of the sexual ethic. And that has penetrated into the church and is doing incalculable damage to people, churches, institutions, theologies. It is wrecking havoc massively. Now, if we're to evaluate this ethic, we need to understand what this ethic is doing to us. What, in particular, pornography is doing to us. So what does it do to us? Now, there are a host of studies around this. There's lots of research being done. And seriously, after this, check out fightthenewdrug.org. And they have lots of facts studies, scientific research being done, and also come to the Liberate uh, conference because my good friend Lisa Ferguson will be speaking, and she is a wealth of knowledge about these things and done lots of research towards these things. So please come here. So what is it doing to us? The first is sexual dysfunction. You see, pornography exists To create a high around something that's forbidden, it creates a high around sexual deviance, something that's forbidden. And like any other drug, that high has to get higher for you to experience it the more you use it because of the law of diminishing returns. It just doesn't do the same thing. And so we are becoming more and more sexually deviant. The things that used to be considered pornography are on commercials today. And the things that are considered pornography today make most people who've never viewed it want to vomit. And I can guess that if you, which given our statistics, some of you are in the midst of this struggle right now, and let me guess that you are probably. Engaging in things that you never thought you would have, things that would have repulsed you six months ago, are now things that you regularly look at because you can't get out of trying to hit that high. This is what it does to you. It breaks you. It makes you sexually dysfunctional. You know that the most played role in a pornographic film right now is a woman in her 20s playing a teenager. It's only going to get worse. That would have been unheard of. But now it's the most common role. And given the proliferation of pornographic websites buying other films and not making their own, they cannot be sure that that person is actually in their 20s and not a teenager trafficked. Into that. That's the reality of what's happening in pornography. We are also ruining ourselves physically. Friends, there are non Christians who are fighting actively to educate people about pornography usage because it's ruining people's sex lives when they have real relationships. Like, look this up, it's real, right? It's not. It's, it, we're, we shouldn't be shocked that on a, any given Sunday watching some NFL football, you're going to get a Hardee's commercial and then a Viagra commercial after that. Do you not see that those two things are related? We are ruining ourselves. That's what this is doing to us. The second point is addiction, it creates addiction. Pornography is the one thing that they've found that can create an addict out of someone who's not genetically predisposed to addiction. This is a new thing. People have not, like, I'm not kidding, guys. This thing is wicked. If you look at brain scans of those who are heroin addicts and those who are porn addicts, guess which one lights up more? Lighting up's not a good thing on a brain scan. Guess which one lights up more? The porn addict. More addictive than heroin. And from that, from that, it creates brain rewiring. The third point. You see, pornography heightens chemicals in your brain that are naturally there and overproduces things in the pleasure center of your brain, which does damage to your frontal lobe. The frontal lobe is where you make decisions and feel empathy. And habitual pornography use damages that. Now, by God's grace, that can heal. It takes time, but that can heal. God has designed the body to be this amazing thing that heals itself. And the brain is a wickedly cool thing that heals itself. And so there are ways to get out of it, but friends, it does damage. It's also doing damages to our relationships. Marriages and relationships, our views of other people. Some of you have such low self-confidence and esteem because of the proliferation of pornography. You feel like you're never going to be good enough. And some of you objectify other people so much that you cannot walk in a room with people made in the image of God without objectifying them like they're objects. And when we objectify people made in the image of God, like their objects, we do damage to our own soul and to the other person. This is a huge issue. I have a good friend who actually became homeless because of pornography. This is killing our lives. So why do we embrace this? If this is so bad, why why do we embrace this? Well, friends, like all good lies... It tells a half-truth. It promises something that's really good that it can't deliver. In Genesis 2, 25, after God creates Adam and Eve, they are together in the garden before the fall. And it says, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. No shame. This level of intimacy, friends, this is what we're longing for. And it's the reason we keep running to pornography, and it's the thing that pornography can never deliver, is real intimacy. And so we're running to it to heal our wounds where we've been wounded in the past, where we've been abused in the past, where we felt unloved, where we haven't experienced intimacy. And rather than turning to the Lord for that intimacy, we've turned to something fake. So how are we going to challenge this? How do we challenge this? I think we need to challenge this with a proper biblical sexual ethic. Sex is a good gift from God given to some only within a marriage between one man and one woman and is intended for their mutual pleasure and his glory in multiplying image bearers and displaying the gospel. I'm going to switch this. Sorry if some of you are taking notes. We don't have time to keep it on there. But so basically what I'm going to do real quick in the last few minutes we have is unpack the opposite of what our culture says using that definition. So the Bible's sexual ethic is that sex is not ultimate. Sex is not ultimate. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul lays out for us, he's talking about marriage, but he also lays out for us the blessing of singleness. When's the last time in the church you heard about the blessing of singleness? Right? We see singleness as a curse. Paul calls it a blessing. One of us is wrong and it's not Paul. All right? And if singleness is a blessing, that means sex is not the thing that makes us human. Right? Jesus says the same thing. Jesus is confronted by the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And they come to him with this story and they say, this woman had seven husbands, which one is going to be her husband after you resurrect from the dead? Because we don't believe that. And Jesus said, you know neither the power of God nor the scriptures, for in glory they will neither marry nor are they given in marriage. Jesus says that marriage is not eternal, which means sex is not eternal, which means sex is not ultimate. Friends, the highest description of this is Jesus himself, right? You know that we confess that Jesus is fully God, the exact image of God. He's also fully man. He is the ideal human. He never had sex. That should totally shape our theology around sex. That doesn't mean that it's evil. The church has erred on that side in the past. That's not what I'm saying. But it can't be ultimate. If our ideal man, the description of what it means to be human and experience ultimate joy and satisfaction in our relationship with God and others is Jesus, and he never had sex, that should radically shape what we believe about sex. It's not ultimate, friends. It's not ultimate. It's also not about our personal pleasure. We have so put a wedge between childbearing and sex, right? You know that God put those things together for a reason. If you're not responsible enough to bear children, you're not responsible enough to have sex. God put it that way for a reason. That's why that thing produces that thing, right? I hope your parents had that conversation with you and you're not. <laughs> now, friends, this is not to heap guilt upon you. But pornography cheapens this. This is a glorious thing. We've got to understand why it exists because God intends something good for it. Sex is not just sex. It's about God's glory in the gospel. In Ephesians 5, Paul is talking about marriage and he says, a man shall leave his Father and mother and cleave to his wife, right, cling to his wife, and the two shall become one. That's Hebrew for sex, okay, just so you know. And he says this mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. What? You see that sex is ultimately about the gospel. Sex is ultimately about that, the cross. Sex is about intimacy. And a God who desires intimacy with his people so much that he will come and bear his own wrath against our sin. So that he can be intimate with you. So that you can stand before him in all of your guilt, with all of your imperfections, completely spiritually naked before the Lord and unashamed. Because he loves you. Friends, sex is ultimately about the gospel, which means it can't be cheapened, cannot be cheapened. It also means, friends, wherever you are, you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. So where do we go from here? Friends, you need to know that Jesus loves you. If you here this morning are trusting in Jesus and him alone for salvation, he wants to set you free. He wants to be intimate with you. He wants to be your highest joy and satisfaction. And he wants to set you free. And he can. And if you're not trusting in Jesus this morning, you have no hope to run from this apart from Jesus. It's the only way. Turn to him and he will set you free. Friends, the way out from this, we got to start with a few things. I'm going to hit a lot more of this tonight, and so please come. But we got to start with one thing. You got to be honest. You know that this hides in secrecy. So if you are struggling with pornography, you need to find someone who's safe. It can be me if you want after this. Find someone who's safe and tell them about it. You've got to open up. You've got to connect with Reclaiming Eros and find help. Second, if you are in a relationship and you're struggling with porn, now this is not going to be popular. But I think you need to end that. And you need to deal seriously with this. Friends, we have this, bought this lie that marriage will fix it. That a relationship will fix it. It won't. You're seeking what is rightfully to be found in God in another human. And you will crush that person. It doesn't mean that you're unworthy of relationship, it means get out and get help, right? This is a cancer that's eating us alive. We don't just say, well, it'll get solved later. We go kill it and then pursue healthy relationships afterwards. So friends, you've got to know this. This is the last thing I'm going to say. And then come talk to me afterwards, wherever that table is, I don't know where it is, but come hang out with me. I'm here all day. So if you want time one-on-one, I would love to sit down with you and talk more. Friends, you have to know this. Jesus is better than pornography. He longs to show you his glory. The God of the universe who flung the stars into place and knows them by name wants to be with you. Let that transform you. Let me pray. God, in this brief moment, we have talked about a lot of things, and I pray that you would be at work massively in this place. That this campus would be a countercultural place that tells the culture no, we do not have to be defined by sexuality, we do not have to be defined by pursuing something. We can be defined by Jesus Christ and transform to live lives of godliness. Lord Jesus, would you do this, not only so that we can be free from guilt and have healthy relationships, all of that could be true, but God also so that Jesus Christ would be lifted high, people would know that he is a wonderful, powerful, merciful savior. Jesus, would you do it for your glory, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You're all dismissed.